But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law no one will be justified. But if, in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not! For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Sometimes you cannot improve on the good old ink and paper Bible. That's why you've got the page number in front of you to follow along in the Pew Bible. And hopefully you have a copy of the scriptures yourself that you study, that you mark to remind yourself of God's goodness. Jesus used parables to apply principles to his audience. And today we are going to dive into this text that is in front of us and Many consider this text the central theme of the entire book of Galatians. And so we're going to dive into the text to understand it, but we're going to do it via an illustration, a parable, and living principles. Now, Lord willing, I am not going to impress you with anything that is humanly clever, but we will all appreciate the Word of God that it is absolutely relevant to Chase County in 2023. Because the illustration and the parable require us to first understand the setting in which Jesus is speaking. And so he begins by, um, we need to understand the, the who, the where, and the what. First, the who, the actors. Um, we read in these verses about Simon, or Cephas, or Petros, which in English is Peter. All three of those are the same guy. Then we see Paul writing in the first person, I. 
So wherever you see I, you know we're talking about Saul, who was also known as Paul. Sometimes in this text in front of us, you see the pronoun we. We refers to Paul and any other characters who happen to be with him. Now we also move forward and it reads about the Jews or the circumcision party. Circumcision and party are very rarely used together, but it was a party of people who believed in the right of circumcision to identify their Jewish tradition. This group of Jews or circumcision party included Peter and those who came from James, as you will see that phrase used in the scripture in front of us. And fifthly, we need to understand the Gentiles. Gentiles are simply people who were raised in non-Jewish families. It's probably most of us today would be considered Gentiles if we were not raised according to the law, the feast, and the diet of Jewish people. So that's the who. The question is where? Where where is this place Antioch that Paul is writing about? You may have seen this picture in the past as we were in the book of Acts and we talked about the spread of the gospel. As we look at this, we will see that this place right here is what's known as Antioch. And the way you can identify Antioch is that the island of Cyprus points directly at Antioch. Now, if you move a little bit further up, this was Tarsus. Tarsus is, was Saul's hometown. So we're kind of talking about his own, his own backyard. And so Cephas will go to Antioch, but then Antioch kind of became the sending point for Paul's missionary journeys all up into the region of Galatia. So this big green circle is Galatia. Antioch is right there at the point of the island of Cyprus. Why do I say this? Because if you were to look at a modern map, you will see Cyprus, and Cyprus is pointing at Antioch. This, and then this area up above is modern-day Turkey. Have you heard about Turkey in the news? Have you heard about Syria in the news? Because... You will see here Cyprus pointing at where the, ter- where the terrible earthquake happened in our news this week. Why am I talking about Antioch? Why are we talking about the fact that this story happened where our news reported this week? It's because of this. This place, ripped from the headlines of our news, is exactly where today's scripture event happened. They were real people who lived in a real place, and they experienced real conflict. What exactly was the conflict that these people experienced that Paul thought was so important he needed to include it in the scriptures? 
The conflict was there were some who had questionable conduct, as I, as I see in verse 14. When I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. Paul's reason for raising this issue is not just what Cephas or Peter did in Antioch, but the reason Paul raises this is because the rest of the Jews thought this was acceptable behavior. They thought it was acceptable to step back from the Gentiles as if they were second class. This word for conduct that we see in verse 14, the conduct, this is the only place in the entire New Testament that this word appears. And this word literally means to do what is right. They were living in a way and they thought this is the right way to live. They thought it was right to require those Gentiles to live the way they lived. They thought it was right to add hoops or levels to the gospel so that the others would be more like them. And Paul says, uh, no, that, that, that's not the way the game is played. The gospel is not about your diet. The gospel is not about feasts. The gospel is not about a surgery. The gospel is about Jesus Christ. But since these people thought that their behavior was correct, they assumed, well, everybody else needs to do what I do. Everybody else needs to comply with my opinion. Apparently, Peter did not agree with those who came from James because he had been eating with the Gentiles when he didn't think anyone was watching. And so Paul, a good Jewish boy, travels to Antioch and he, or I'm sorry, Peter, also a good Jewish boy, travels to Antioch. He's enjoying lunch with the new believers and um, it seems to all be going good in verse 12. Because Acts chapter 10 told us a story about a vision that Peter had. And in this vision that God gave to Peter before he uh, interacted with a man named Cornelius, he heard directly, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone from another nation. That's what the Jews thought. But after his vision, Peter says, God has shown me I should not call any person unclean or common if God has accepted them. See, presumably, Paul knew that Peter had been told the last part of the story. And yet, rather than promote that view... He was bowing to peer pressure about the first part of that verse. This tension actually reveals for us that there is hypocrisy. Because the result of hypocrisy, believing one thing and doing another, is conflict. Now the word conflict does not appear in the scripture in front of us. But I think that one word, conflict, is a good summary for these words that are in the text. You look with me according to verse 11 and surrounding, and I see those who opposed behavior that was condemned. 
being motivated by fear, hypocritically led astray and not in step with the truth. I think all of those can kind of be summarized with this word conflict. When people say they believe one thing, but they expect others to behave in a different way, that creates hypocrisy, which is conflict. I think my, the best example I could come up with, here's the illustration about expecting other people to do what you don't want to do. It's a story about tacos or brisket. This, perhaps this came into my mind because I was working on the sermon on Tuesday, and everybody knows Tuesday is Taco Tuesday. So imagine with me if you... The people here of Flint Hills Community Church, uh, we traveled down to South Texas and we found a great taco joint. It's probably in a gas station, but they make the best tacos. And we are enjoying the tacos with the locals when some other people from Kansas appear in South Texas and then you suddenly begin to act like you no longer like tacos. After all, I, I, I'm from Kansas, and so I only eat brisket that is served on a bun, which is made with Kansas wheat, right? We, we can't like tacos. That's what those people eat. But I'm from Kansas, and, and we were raised that a good yeast roll is, is perfect to put your brisket, correct? Well, eating tacos, then acting like you don't like tacos, is the hypocrisy that we see here in verses 12 and 13. Peter ate with them, but then when his own people showed up, he acted as if he had not. In verse 11, Paul says he addressed this issue face-to-face -face with the very pillar who endorsed his ministry in the previous paragraph. Peter had just said, yes, that's right, Paul. You evangelize them, we'll evangelize us, and we'll both serve God together. And now in verse 11, all of a sudden, Paul has to speak to Peter, the pillar who endorsed him, and said, Peter, I don't think you're doing right. In verses 14 and 15, Paul exposes the hypocrisy with a comparison similar to, if you were raised on wheat rolls and smoked brisket... Yet we have the freedom to eat tacos. Why are you now forcing the Mexicans to reject tacos and to only eat barbecue beef? Now, let me make this very clear. Now that we've got the illustration, eating tacos or barbecue beef in no way makes you more or less of a Christ follower. But in the mind of these Jews, what they did and did not eat did determine their godliness. And just as diet has no bearing on your obedience, being Gentile or Jewish had no bearing on whom God would choose to accept. And so Paul says, if you were raised on tacos, eat the tacos and don't be ashamed of the tacos. If you were raised on barbecue beef sandwiches, eat your barbecue beef sandwiches, but don't force other people to like your barbecue beef sandwiches. I don't know it's much of a force, but anyhow. 
See, because what we see in the middle verses is that the basis of being justified was not tacos or brisket. The basis of being justified was not being Jewish or not. The basis of being justified was not, do you have the surgery that our people have? Do you eat the food that our people eat? Do you observe the holidays that our people observe? That's not the basis of justification. Verse 16 clearly says, the only way to be justified, as you will see that center section all the times it mentions justified, the only way to be justified is based on belief. Now, let me illustrate this with the parable. The parable, at the excuse of being too creative, I saw how excellent Brother Troy did when he talked about spiritual warfare. And so I have created a script that we will see in real time, and then we will illustrate it at the end. This is going to involve some of you playing a part in the parable. In the beginning, there was a triune God who created a perfect world. And since I am only one person, I would like to invite Axel and Oakley to join me as symbols of the Trinity. They're in the nursery. I told Axel that he got to be part of the Trinity, and he says, oh, tell Oakley too. You might as well tell their cousins to come because they're going to play a role in this as well. Anxious moments. Can somebody play the Jeopardy theme, or you want to hum the Jeopardy theme as we wait for them to come forward? No, KD, they don't have to pick up before they come. <laughs> nope, you're not ready. We're not ready for you yet, Luke. But Oakley and Axel, I need you guys to join me at the front. Okay, for the purpose of this parable, Axel is the Son of God, and Oakley gets to be the Holy Spirit. All right? And so, because they're not gender-related, it's kind of like Father, and I'm not your father, but I'll pretend. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And the three of them worked together, and they created a beautiful world. A world that was a, a picture of God's kingdom. The way God wanted to dwell with all of humanity. And God said, it is good. Then the triune God decided to create mankind. So Chuck... Mager, David Anderson, and Jeff Harshman. Will you please join me? I know he's out there. Uh, yeah, yeah, he's coming. Jeff Harshman, David Anderson, and Chuck Maggard. Uh, they represent humanity for us. And so we, as the triune God... <laughs> 
Yeah, Je- Jeff's going to come. I- I'll just, I'll shame him into, co- huh, what? You don't have to say anything, you just have to be here. He- he's a figurehead of the Harshman clan, as the, the oldest of the Harshman, I in- invited him. So, yeah, you get to join me up front, but you don't have to say anything. All right. See, Chuck is way away from the Garden of Eden, but he wants fellowship. So, so David and, and, and Jeff and, and Chuck, I'll, I'll come in close. We're, we're in this beautiful garden that the triune God created, which has a beautiful kingdom of um, fellowship with God. But these three did not want to live life the way God wanted So God said, all right, you three, you can't stay in the garden because if you stay in the garden, you will eat the tree of life and you'll be separated from the three of us forever and ever. So I've got a place for you. All right, all three of you, you human beings that we created, come with me. You are being banished from the garden and chased away from the garden. But just to show that I don't hate you, this is still a good life. And so I have created for you all sorts of orange slices. And so you guys can live here on the earth and enjoy as much of the goodness that I have created because I love you and care for you greatly. Now, this um, provision by the triune God is not near as beautiful as that which is in the kingdom. But in the meantime, you guys can stay here and enjoy any of my good creation that you would like. All right, meanwhile, the Trinity is still involved in the world. Now, over time, humanity had children and grandchildren and nieces and nephews. And so what I want to do is I want to invite Zeke and Van and Austin to uh, join us at the front because Zeke and Van and Austin are offspring of humanity all right so you guys get to go be with your dads you get to enjoy as many orange slices as you want life is good we have provided for you to have a good life these guys are moving on in life enjoying orange slices then in genesis chapter 12 god chose abraham and makes a promise to give him children as well So, Holy Spirit and Son, will you go get, Uncle Jeff, go get um, the one that will represent Abraham and lead him over here because we have chosen him to be special. So go get Uncle Jeff. Grandpa Jeff, I'm sorry. Uncle Jeff to you. Grandpa Jeff, and, and we bring him over. He represents Abraham that we have chosen. Even though Abraham doesn't have any children, Abraham is going to be our special selected one, and we're going to let you get close to the kingdom because you are the one that we have chosen. But don't eat of the kingdom yet. You can get close. You will keep the rules that we want you to keep. You will eat the food according to what we want you to eat. You will live your life the way we want you to live. And by doing these things, you'll be able to have the kingdom within eyesight. But you can't quite touch it yet. 
okay? And so they're enjoying all the orange slices they want. We've given a promise to Abraham, but he still doesn't have any children. And so although Abraham doesn't have any children, God blesses him with descendants. So Luke Harshman and Isaac and Henry, you are descendants of Abraham through his son and through his nephew. And so the four of you make up the Jewish nation. Notice they're all Harshmans. See how that all worked together? They're all descendants of Abraham through his son and his nephew. Now, Abraham dies. Now you can leave. Thank you. No, no, no fruit. Abraham dies having seen the kingdom, but never fully enjoying the kingdom. So Abraham dies, leaving his descendants with the promise. And Chuck and David die because they died, because they did not do things God's way. But they left behind their descendants as well. So we have descendants of Abraham. We have not descendants of Abraham. And nobody's enjoying the kingdom that we created. So, none of the three, of those three, got to see the kingdom before death. But Abraham believed God, and so I counted it to him as righteousness. Even though he didn't know Jesus, he believed in us, and because he did, Jesus is now going to give eternal life to Grandpa Jeff, Abraham. He believed God, and after death, it was credited to him, so that now he got part of the kingdom. Let's thank Jeff and the other two men for their participation. My note says, go sit down. Now, God gives the Jews, the descendants of Abraham, a set of rules called the commandments. And God says, if you guys follow all of these rules perfectly, you will get to the kingdom. But none of them can follow all the rules perfectly. So although they are closer to the kingdom than those who are far away, they still do not reach the kingdom. Meanwhile, Zeke becomes quite powerful outside of Jerusalem. And Zeke becomes King Nebuchadnezzar, the great king of Babylon. And so even though he's not in the kingdom, he becomes powerful. And do you know what King Nebuchadnezzar does? He comes over and he takes all the sons of Abraham as his servants. So you are the king and these three now get taken over to your side. That's the story of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The powerful king took the descendants of Abraham into captivity. Now, while they were there, all living far from Jerusalem, far from the kingdom, after a while, the Holy Spirit tells Ezra and Nehemiah to take the Jews back to Jerusalem. And so, Holy Spirit, 
you're going to go get all of the harshmans except for Luke. You're going to go all the way, and the Holy Spirit is going to say to Ezra and Nehemiah, you guys come back to this side. All, only the harshmans, all of the harshmans except for Luke. And see, while these Jews, this is Ezra and Nehemiah, they returned to the land, but yet some Jews stayed far away. And so when we get to the time of the New Testament, we have descendants of Abraham who spoke Hebrew, followed the rules, and they lived in the area of Palestine. But there were also some descendants of Abraham who did not return with Ezra and Nehemiah. And so they learned the language of orange slices. And they had so much fun just kind of chilling out with them. But because their mamas and papas told them the rules, Isaac, or J, um, Luke, Luke, the descendant of Abraham, began to follow the rules he made sure that his sons had surgery and he began looking for the day that someday he would be able to participate in the kingdom. But he was doing it over there and the Jews were back doing it over here. Now, eventually, God sends Jesus to the earth to die for the sins of men. And so, Jesus, are you willing to go die for humanity? Jesus willingly died. So Jesus went down and he died. That's Good Friday. But then on Easter morning, what happened? He rose again. God sent Holy Spirit, says, go get Jesus and bring him out of the grave so that we can all be together again. Now the role of Holy Spirit is to go to people and say, do you believe that Jesus died for the sins of humanity so that you can get to the kingdom or not? And so Holy Spirit, why don't you ask your two cousins and you're going to say yes and you're going to say no. Say, do you believe that Jesus died for sin? Okay, since he said yes, then the Holy Spirit gives eternal life to, um, to Isaac. But he said no. So even though he's a descendant of Abraham, he said no to Jesus, and he's still lost. At the same time, Holy Spirit then um, went over to the other side, and he, on the day of Pentecost, he began to ask all the Jews, are you going to believe in Jesus too? So uh, I've got... Plenty of kingdom for everybody. And you go over to the Gentiles and you'll ask all of them one at a time. And everybody except for Van is going to say yes. Okay, so we've got some Jews who are saved and some who are not. We've got some Gentiles who are saved and those who are not. Thank you so much. Now, the book of Acts also tells us that there was something unique about Austin. See, Austin was not a descendant of Abraham, but he saw something about these people being close to the kingdom. And so Austin, who is... Come with me. Austin, who is the Ethiopian eunuch. 
He thought, if I come over and do things the Jewish way, I'll be closer to the kingdom. And then uh, Philip says, do you believe Jesus is the Spirit of God and the Spirit of, or that Jesus is the Son of God? Holy Spirit prompted him to say yes. He says, hey, here's water. Why can't I be baptized? So we have proselytes and we have descendants of Abraham. Some have salvation, some do not. And over here, let's recount, we've got some who are descendants of Abraham and some who are not, but they're living away from Israel, and some have salvation and some do not. So let's recount where we are. Everyone who has salvation, everyone who's part of the kingdom, hold it up in the air. Van is not a Jew, does not believe in Messiah, so he has no kingdom. Zeke is not a Jew, but he does believe Jesus is Messiah, so he gets the kingdom. Austin is not a Jew, but he proselytizes Judaism, and he believes Jesus is the Messiah, and so though not a descendant of Abraham Jeff, he still gets kingdom. Luke is a Jew far away from Palestine, a descendant of Abraham, but he said yes to the gospel, so he has part in the kingdom. So, as we look around here, we see some who are, some, some who are very sad because they're descendants of Abraham, but they don't have kingdom. And over here, we've got some people who are simply saying, hey, I'm not a descendant of Abraham, but hey, I've got orange slices. And orange slices are almost as good as kingdom. Okay, now enters Lauren and Annabella. Lauren and Annabella, now comes the book of Acts. See, they are both descendants of Abraham, Jeff, right? So they are Jews, but they are also followers of Jesus Christ. And so Lauren is going to be the Apostle Paul who goes to the Gentiles. And Annabella is going to be the Apostle Peter who went to the Jews. After the day of Pentecost, Paul and Peter realize there are some people who don't have the kingdom. And so... Apostle Paul is going to go to the Gentiles and offer salvation to Van. But he's still going to say no. He still doesn't accept the gospel, so he has none of the kingdom. Meanwhile, Annabella is Peter, and she's going to take the gospel to her own people, and so she's going to ask Henry, do you believe Jesus is Messiah? And he's still going to say no. No, <laughs> no kingdom for you. So even though Peter is nice to Van and wants to share her kingdom with him, Austin, Luke, and Isaac bully her into telling Van that he has to, you have to come over to this side if you want to get the kingdom. So you guys have to try and bully Van to come over here, even though he doesn't have the kingdom. And he still doesn't get any of the kingdom. But Lauren, Paul, says, Everyone who has some kingdom, lift it high. Let's celebrate if we're in the kingdom. 
And then Paul writes in Galatians, there are some Jews who do and some Jews who do not. There are some Gentiles who do and there are some Gentiles who, who do not. What doesn't matter is if you are over there or over here. Everybody who has the kingdom was given it by the Holy Spirit. And nobody receives a kingdom if they don't believe that the Son died and they say yes to the drawing of the Holy Spirit. Henry on this side and Van on that side both need someone to tell them that Jesus is Messiah. And Paul is saying in the verse right in front of us, everyone can get to the kingdom right from where you are. And that is the parable that sets up the story of Galatians chapter 2. Now, I am going to make sure that the Holy Spirit gets some of the kingdom and the Son gets some of the kingdom. And you guys can now go to your seats. Let's thank them for their participation in the parable. You're very welcome. All right, you can go take your seats. Now, because God is gracious and he doesn't want to ruin his story, don't worry about those who didn't get kingdom. Their parents are going to take care of them later. See, what matters about the justification is, is, is belief. Belief in the Son and saying yes to the drawing of the Holy Spirit. It has nothing to do with where you live. It has nothing to do with who your ancestors were. And coming over here does not get you any closer to the kingdom apart from the Holy Spirit. What's the point of the parable? The point of the parable is it no longer matters if you are a harshman or not. It doesn't matter if you are a descendant of Abraham or not. It doesn't matter if you obey the rules. What matters is we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through what? Faith in Jesus Christ. And once we have been acquitted of our sin, once we have kingdom in our lives, how then are we to live among others? The way we are to live about others, the way that we live after we have been acquitted, according to verse 20, is with righteous life. Whatever generates us, sustains us. There are too many people who suffer from bait-and-switch thinking. We admit that we cannot get to salvation in our own. But somehow, after we receive kingdom, we want to take some of the credit for it. Yes, the Holy Spirit gave this to me through faith, but it's, it's up to me to keep it and to not share it with anybody else. I'm not real pleased with the way the, the ESV translates verse 17. I like better the New American Standard, the New Living, the NIV. Because in the ESV, it, it uses the word um, endeavor. But all the other translations use the word seek. Because when we are apart from God, we don't necessarily endeavor to be part of the kingdom. But we are more... Um, we're, we're, we're religious, while some religious people may be striving for justification, I think most of us, apart from the Holy Spirit, we're just wandering. 
We're just flailing around when Jesus spots us and Jesus says, I want you to be part of the kingdom. And Jesus and Father send Holy Spirit and say, convince him, convince her to say yes to the kingdom. And retelling the story such that that God's rescue in any way is diminished by our contribution is not the gospel that Paul's trying to defend. Paul is trying to say, I don't care if you're a harshman or not. The gospel only comes through belief in Jesus Christ when we say yes to the Holy Spirit of God who attracts us. The verses that I see here is talking about death to law-based effort. It's, it's a time that we consider dead anything that is in my good or my ability or my hard work or, or anything that I do. Paul states, I have been crucified. If an autopsy reveals two bullets to the brain, it's almost certain that we can rule out the victim as the cause of the second bullet. It's something that happens to them And if we are dead to sin, our death to sin is something that is caused by the Holy Spirit inviting us into righteousness. The beauty of the Christian gospel is that when one is justified in Christ, verse 17, Jesus' death becomes our death. For we read in Romans chapter 7, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ. And we have died to the law in order that we can be alive to a Christ-based righteousness through faith, grace, and life. Not only do we see this in Galatians 2, 20-21, but the verse we just started in Romans goes on to say, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. There's a transfer that happens from considering it as my goodness to saying it is all the righteousness of Christ. We must be attentive that the life of grace given to us by God's good grace does not get transformed into an opportunity for us to demand of others what God does not. Oftentimes, after we get saved, we expect other people to live a clean life, a moral life, a um, a generous life. But God does not say any of those things are the basis for faith. So we can't add those things to the gospel. The Galatian church had been led astray by a high expectation group. Peter allowed his fear of this same group to withdraw his kindness in Antioch. But the question comes for you today. Do you have kingdom? Have you believed in Jesus? Have you said yes to the drawing of the Holy Spirit to accept the kingdom of God's grace. Have you believed in the death and resurrection of Christ so that the Holy Spirit has baptized you into the kingdom and promised you eternal life? Do I hold, and this may be a little bit over the top, do I hold the red and gold of the kingdom? 
Have you believed in the death and resurrection of Christ? That's the red. So that the Holy Spirit has baptized you into the kingdom and promised you eternal life. That's the gold. Now, how did I receive this gift? Was it my forefathers? I'm not a harshman. Was it my obedience to the commands? Was it my surgery? Was it my diet? If, is there anything that I am expecting of others that God doesn't expect of them? Am I loving my neighbors and explaining the truth so that they can respond in faith to the gospel? That's today's text. What is the gospel? Let's make sure we believe the true gospel and that we explain the true gospel to those who need to say yes to Jesus. See, the reality is the power is not in my ability to persuade. It is only the power of the blood of Jesus that causes people to cross over out of darkness into life. I'd like to invite Jan, if you would uh, take a place at the piano. You're going to be real familiar when you see what the music is, so I'm, I think you can sight read it. Our final song this morning is one that we ask of ourselves. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing flood? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? If you have never been through Jesus, I invite you to make today your day of salvation. If you want to make that public before the congregation, come to me. I will pair you with someone who can show you from God's word how you can know that you are covered by the blood. For the rest of us, it becomes a commitment. Am I spreading the kingdom to others? Let's stand together as we sing two verses of